Welcome to the program, Piers Cunningham with you, and I'm joined by Guy West, professional investor and chess master, and also Dr. Ian Storey, mathematician and lecturer in information systems at Torrens University. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning, Piers. Good morning, Guy. We spoke last in February, and I thought it was a great chat then, and we have actually spoken since about risk and, and other things and gambling, but... I thought it was kind of timely to revisit the same subject, which was, you know, equity markets, this this great sort of wave of euphoria that's swept across the world and uh, apparently sees uh, no no signs of um, of stopping for now or, or, or not. That's something that we're going to discuss. But, you know, there is talk about there being a, uh, you know, if not a very big correction, even a crash to make the crash of 29 look like a picnic. So these are the subjects we're going to talk about. What could be done to protect yourself? Where is property heading? How much of an impact is is COVID going to have? And there's so many variables affecting uh, the outlook of the world. In Australia, we've got this very overheated property market. You know, does it pose a risk to banks? I've been reading up just recently about the American banking system a little bit. There are some concerns about another GFC this uh, business of collateralized loan obligations. So there's, there's lots to talk about. Let's start with Guy, because Guy's a, a professional uh, investor and is probably the most knowledgeable about, of equities, about equities of, of the three of us. What's your take on things at the moment? And are there anything that, that you'd like to point out that's different from when we spoke in February about this same subject of market euphoria? There's still a very high level of um, market euphoria, um, so if, if anything's changed, it's, um, it, it's probably just that there's been more of the same, like valuations are even higher now than they were when we last spoke. Um, I think the um, property market's um, gone slightly higher. Um, leading equities have certainly gone um, quite a bit higher. Um, we're currently in the um, reporting season, so far, there's been a reasonable spread of um, both exceeding expectations and, and you know, disappointing the market. It, it hasn't all been one way. There have been some stocks that have, um, have, have dropped um, sharply and others that have, you know, got a, a, good, a good kick along from their full year results. It's been pretty much more of the same. In the um, cryptocurrency space, there was a or sort of mini crash, like for instance in Bitcoin, which um, I think you know hit uh, over sixty-five thousand US dollars. It crashed right back down to just slightly under thirty thousand US dollars, which was a pretty big crash for for a so-called currency to have. Since then, it's uh, picked back up to be around about forty-four thousand US dollars. So far, the music continues. I think a lot of us are wondering. Um, yeah, when it's when it's all going to stop. <laughs> you look on the internet. You look on Wall Street bets, which I um, strayed onto before making the phone call today, and uh, there's plenty of stuff there predicting uh, a crash and saying that it could be pretty bad. My assumption is that if, if there's going to be a big crash, um, it will be sort of triggered in America, and we will follow, and the rest of the world will follow America. Do you think that's that's reasonable to say that? Yeah, I think so. Um, the, the US is still, um, at this stage, the biggest economy in the world. It's certainly, you know, still 
you know, whatever happens in, in the US um, spreads very quickly around the other uh, major economies. So I think that's still fairly likely, but you, you never know because um, the world is so kind of interconnected now financially and, and, and in other ways, especially financially. And uh, you, you don't necessarily know which drop of sand is going to trigger the avalanche, you know, which extra little stick on the pile is going to cause it all to collapse. It, it, it could actually start somewhere else and, and um, just spread in a contagious way. Like, for instance, you'll remember some years ago, well, uh, some decades ago now, there was the so-called Asian currency crisis. You know, that, that sort of spread very rapidly, caused problems in other countries. And then, you know, you've got things like the the Greek debt crisis, which you know, threatened to spread globally and... Uh, and, and uh, the, Latin America as well. Yeah, exactly. So um, it, it's it's quite likely that it would, would happen in the US, but not necessarily. One of the things that, that's also a concern in all this is um, COVID, obviously, and then the possibility of a super variant emerging. Uh, but even without that happening, Delta, um, you know, really is a different beast to what we were dealing with last year. You just have to look at, uh, you know, the situation in Melbourne and Sydney, the two biggest cities in Australia, uh, under pretty hard lockdown now. And, you know, really uh, not a clear end in sight, certainly not for Sydney and even even Melbourne, uh, which has a government that's more into lockdowns. That's got to be having a, a, an impact on the economy. And until we reopen the economy in those cities, and, and you know, they are, as you said, this is an interconnected world we're living in. So those economies are, are big for Australia and uh, they're interconnected to the rest of it. So they're having an impact beyond just those cities. But until we reopen, we won't understand the true costs of remaining closed. It's quite mm. unknown what the the actual impact of these lockdowns is, but we know. I think we can safely say it, it's not a good one. Yeah, I think I think you've um, hit on a very important point, which is the the extreme unpredictability of the of, of the um, global situation at the moment. Mm. We just simply don't know um, how this is all going to play out, mm. and. Uh, for there to be um, so um, much absolutely. euphoria yeah. at this particular point in history when there are so many unknowns is really quite amazing. It's, yeah. it's, obviously, um, it's obviously a function of, of the fact that um, yeah, there's, a, there's a huge pool of, of uh, money in the world and, and it, it's, it's looking for a return and um, you're not getting that from um, bank interest. So yeah. the money has to go somewhere and, that, and that's why... Um, you know, markets are still so buoyant, but but what's missing at the moment is that is that one specific thing which triggers a climate of fear, of fear mm. uh, and and changes the psychology, and and that's that's the catalyst that I think you know could potentially um, cause a really horrible um, implosion. There's a movie called Margin Call. The movie's kind of long. But there's a 10-minute bit in the movie where they're all sitting around talking about how how powerful and rich they are. Then they talk about the the prospects for for their stock. They ask this guy, who's a PhD, from risk analysis. And he sort of sheeply looks around and says, well, you know, unless we sell everything today, there's a huge cliff that we're looking over and it, it's best to get out now rather than later. 
Yeah. And they said, well, how, how quick should we get out? And he sort of, uh, you know, hums and hahs and sheepishly says, today. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the reason for that was as soon as they were seen selling, the story was out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're over the Minsky moment and they start falling down. Yeah. Now, um, the real, the movie that I did watch that started my interest in all of this was The Big Short. In fact, I, I read the book first, not long after the 2008 crash, and I realised I knew nothing about where money came from and how these crashes occur. Yeah. And look, look, the book really helps. I watched the movie twice. If you don't watch the movie and you haven't seen it before, make sure you're awake and have a pen and notepad beside you. <laughs> Make sure you're awake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, you know, it really is deep and heavy, but boy. Uh, it's got Christian Bale, it's got Brad Pitt, Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling. <laughs> Good cast. And, you know, oh, it's, it, and it's so well made. And stick around for the, for the credits too, because the music is great there, and the song is really apt. But... I learned a lot from watching that movie, but I started digging around for how how it occurred because the book doesn't answer, the the book and the movie don't answer it, and I don't think they can because they then be pointing the finger at someone. So they point the finger at a lot of different in a lot of different directions. As far as my understanding goes, Guy is right. The banks get money basically by lending out. And the amount they lend out is determined by how much they can loan from, from the Fed, which is given money from the government through the Treasury. Okay, so, but the thing is, when the banks give you a loan, that money that they give you doesn't exist except on paper, but it exists on their books and exists in the economy. It becomes part of the GDP. Mm. So... The loan money is waiting for money to come back later. Now, I was talking to some of my big shot academic mates and I was saying that money has to be repaid. And they said, no, 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 no. And in a way, they're right. It doesn't have to be repaid. It never actually gets repaid. But if it's full of junk loans, it can't get repaid. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So if that money, which isn't real, is held by the banks and then all of a sudden everybody starts to realise, hang on, this is junk. And the the, the trigger for recognising that, that it was junk was when Baum, forget his first name, anyway, he's a hedge fund guy, and when he first realised that people were selling insurance on loans, on housing loans, that was worth more than the actual houses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, they were betting and with other bets as well. So it wasn't just that it's CDOs and those things. It's the housing, it's, if you'll excuse me, the monster trucks that people seem to buy these days all on credit. It's the stock as well. And it's the banks loaning to other banks. Hmm. So, so there's an enormous uh, amount of debt that builds up and builds up and builds up and then can't be repaid. Yeah. 
that. For listeners, that uh, movie, The Big Short, you're referring to, I think it is still on Netflix now in Australia. So if you're interested, you can go out and uh, watch it for yourself if you've got Netflix, as many people yeah, do. Yeah, it's on iTunes as well. Oh, right. it's so good. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, that was uh, that's something that we we did we covered that that well, exactly the sort of thing that you're talking about the, the sort of limits to banking and the need for you know that what that scenario where, yeah. you, where you make the but, loan. But I think that that then leads to what is the solution? Mm. And um, if you point the finger at uh, this or that player, you, you you come up with a different solution. But most of the solutions that have been touted have favoured the people who are saying that they were the ones who saved the economy, you know what I mean? So government saved the economy. Well, did they? Mm. You know, Treasury, uh, the Fed, the banks saved the economy. Mm. If it was the fact that the auditors, uh, the credit ratings were the auditors of the banks, they had too chummy a relationship with the banks. And now there's a rule... I only recently learned, you know, discovered that it's just two to three years. They have to change their auditors every two to three years. And that seems to have made a big change. Mm. There's another guy called Brian Wes- Wesbury who says that mark-to-market accounting, getting rid of that, made a big change because what that meant was that instead of the, um, the bad loans capital going down immediately, the price of those things go down, it, it stayed the same. So you didn't have these bad loans on the books on the banks going down really, really fast. Yep. yep. Um, and that's really interesting because if either of those is the case, then QE, quantitative easing, is really just window dressing. Mm. And when you look at the data, QE preceded the real crash. There's a yeah, lot of concern the at the moment, Ian, about about the sort of so-called regulations that were brought in after the GFC in 2008 to to sort of make the banks safer, make the financial system safer, and try to get rid of some of these these bad habits. Uh, but there's actually yeah. a lot of talk now about you know that sort of that bad behaviour has been allowed to return to the financial system in America at least, and it's this right. takes the form of of collateralised loan obligations, which um, Maybe Guy can talk about that, but that's apparently as, as big a problem as those uh, low-doc loans that, that uh, were part I, of the problem with the GFC. Yeah, I'm not so sure because the, the banks have actually increased their, their equity rates enormously because they, you know, they don't want something like 2008 to occur again. So their behaviour has kind of improved, um, but they're still lending out and lending out and lending out. But the other point is that the signals from the Fed, every time, every time there's been one of these crashes, the rates from the Fed have gone down. So uh, 1930, before 2008, it was 1% for the money from the Fed. And now it's um, zero or negative. Mm. So the banks are just saying, oh, I, I've got to take this money. I'm making money by by taking by taking a loan from the Fed, and what am I going to do with it? I'm going to give out a loan. They are being careful with their equity equity rates, and the Fed hates that because when the banks put money into equity, it's not going into the economy. Mm. But um, but the issue is that with with that interest rate, 
the economy is all skew-if. It's all upside down. It's never worked really well for a long time with negative interest rates. Yeah. Except where, except you know, in uh, really unusual circumstances where the government has intervened with very heavy legislation. Yeah. So mm. it's it's stretched out like a rubber band, and as time goes on, that rubber band is getting a little bit more, you know, a little bit more dated every day. Mm. Um, I think that's a very good way of putting it. Um, so that's what people are worried about. Now, you know. If, if the changes to auditing and the changes to mark the marketing market accounting and the changes to the bank's uh, equity rates has improved things, this going negative is still stretching things. And it's, you know, to me, it's a real worry. Guy, do you think that the regulations, you know, that, that, that ha- the bad habits that led to the GFC are cropping up again in the US? And, um, and what do you think about CLOs? Um, well, first of all, I think that it's not just in the US that these bad habits can be found. It's true that um, that there was a lot of restructuring of the banking industry and so on, and their safety margins now are higher than they were by legislation. The overall amount of debt that's that's sloshing around uh, in in the um, global economy has grown again it's that massive amount of debt which which worries me if 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 at some point um and and you would think that at some point there has to be a a deleveraging of that debt it's going to be a a massive massive amount even just looking for instance in the cryptocurrency space if you if you go through the the hundreds of different cryptocurrencies and look at the market capitalizations of each one, you've, you've got trillions of dollars um, tied up in these um, cryptocurrencies. Now, if at some point the, um, the floor falls out from under that, that's, that's a huge amount of money that's, that's suddenly disappearing into, into um, pun intended, the, the ether. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a really quite staggering amount. And um, there's, there's just so much debt around everywhere, despite the fact that, the, you know, the capital ratios of banks are, are better and so on. Um, I mean, another thing is um, property. The, the amount of alleged wealth that's tied up in, in property valuations at the moment is enormous. Mm. To me, it's still a, a, an extremely precarious situation. And um, I'm, I'm not sure you can, you can legislate that away um, by, by just... Um, you know, improving the um, the bank capital ratios and things like that. Mm. Um, a, a huge amount of this debt is personal. Mm. Um, it, it's uh, you know it's held by individuals, and at, at some point there has to be a deleveraging of of all that debt mm. and un, an unwinding, uh, um, you know, a, a paying back. <laughs> and, and I think you know that's that's when at, at some point you could get another situation like the GFC where there were defaults occurring and uh, there was there was tremendous fear that the debt simply couldn't be paid back mm. you know it's US stimulus that's keeping I mean I, I suppose I'm returning to America because I'm I'm sort of working on the premise that if there's going to be you know the trigger for the catastrophic fail if you like 
is going to is likely to be in America, start in America and fan out from there. I assume the thing that is keeping the status quo and keeping things bubbling along is stimulus, government stimulus in America. Yeah, I think I think that's um, the major contributor to the, the current bullishness in markets is the, the fact that there's been this massive pump priming exercise for. Uh, I don't even know how long it's been going on for now. It's um, it's it's multi a multi year thing now. Mm. You look at the charts of how much um, fiat money has been created. It's the sort of it looks almost exponential. It's it's a very scary looking chart showing the creation of of fiat money. I, I guess that which has um, led to to some of the extreme imbalances created, like these massive gains in cryptocurrencies and so on. You know, when, you, when you're creating so much money out of thin air, as it were, um, you, you're going to create all sorts of um, imbalances and um, yeah, you, 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 you're, you're sort of almost forcing high degrees of speculation. It, it, that money is going to, it, it's going to flow in all sorts of unexpected directions and it's going to raise its head in, in strange ways. Mm-hmm. One of the concerns that uh, people have is, is hyperinflation, and we touched on that in February when we last spoke. Um, but do you think that risk has if is increased since since February? And do you, what do you think of the idea that cryptos like Bitcoin could be the sort of hedge against hyperinflation? So instead of selling out of your equities and, and hoarding cash, say in Australian in Australian dollars, that you instead pour it into cryptos are you asking me or? yeah yeah i'm, well, I'm asking yeah. both of you and and i should yeah. mention and guy and i i mean sorry ian and i mentioned discussed this a couple of days ago uh separate to this phone call none of us are actually giving financial advice at all we're just talking about an interesting developing situation and it does affect people because people have got exposure to equity markets through their superannuation that's one way that that uh you know, almost uh, every working person in Australia will have exposure to equities is through super. And then a lot of mums and dads have obviously got investments in shares and people in the last 18 months when they've um, been stuck at home, you know, quite a few people have got into trading or playing around with markets because because that's what they can do. In lockdown, you're, uh, yep. you're limited in, in sort of scope. You haven't been spending money on overseas travel and you know, you're pretty much barred from the, the property market because it's insanely expensive. You know, equities is kind of where it's at. What do you think about the risk of hyperinflation? Firstly, um, you made a really good point that, um, you, you know, anybody listening, um, don't, don't take what we're saying as, uh, as financial advice. Sure. Because A, it, it's illegal for us to do that without a licence. But B... This is an exercise in crystal ball gazing, mm. and it, it doesn't matter, you know, what what kind of expertise you claim to have. You know, yeah. nobody nobody can see the future. We we can make sort of educated guesses. We can exactly. lay out yeah. we can lay out possible scenarios, but you know, we we we, <laughs> we, we are not um, you know prescient, and, and we can't see what's going to happen next. So, I, I think that's the that, that's the sort of the big question is. You know what? What is going to happen if, if there is a crisis? What is going to happen to to fiat currency? Are we going to see a a massive hyperinflation event like Weimar, or is it going to be the, the opposite, where 
there's a, a sort of a deflationary cycle where, um, you know, it, it goes the opposite way because of, because of a contracting economy and, and so forth. Now, you can make arguments for either, but the obvious argument for hyperinflation is just the massive, massive extra amounts of fiat currency that have been created by not just the Fed in the US, but central banks all around the world. We are awash with, with stimulus money. Simple logic. And just, um, just to point out too, this is not by any means new for nations to do this. Not at um, all. The Wealth of Nations, uh, written in 1776. I'm going to read a quote from The Wealth of Nations. Okay. This is by Adam Smith, the architect of modern capitalism, a lot of people call him. When national debts have once been accumulated to a certain degree... There is scarce, I believe, a single instance, there's not one instance, of them having been fairly and completely paid. (laughs) (laughs) The liberation liberation of the public revenue, this is exactly what's happening now. If it's ever been brought about at all, has always been brought about by bankruptcy, sometimes by an avowed one, you know, an acknowledged bankruptcy, but always underneath a real bankruptcy though frequently by a pretend payment. Hmm. So this is 1776, and they're talking about exactly the same thing, and they had exactly the same problems. And to me, uh, all of that money that is being pumped in, if it's not going to the value of actual assets, then it's being pumped into two things, finance and hoarding. When the finance goes bad, that can go bad really, really quickly. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au.